Having a Gas is the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for dancing to, for cooking to, for f***ing to, and more. Today, I'm having a guest with Simon and Rhiannon Lewis, the managing partners of The Gate Films, a very prolific video production company in Manchester. As well as being business partners, they are also life partners. They're married, they have children together. And so I was keen to find out how they make a success of their business and of their life together. Thanks for coming on. You are the first uh, married couple we've ever had on the series that's been going all of seven months now. Um, So yeah, why don't you start by telling us how you guys got together? So we have been together for 16 years this year, which is a long time. Uh, We met through work. Um, Obviously, situations changed from when we we first uh, met each other. And I've kind of become business partner over the years. Uh, So, yeah, it was just, we find a lot of it in this industry. We've we've had the joy of going to lots of people's weddings and bringing lots of people together through the gates. Family, extended gate family members, Vicky Byrne and Steve Byrne met here. Um, Charlie Sadler, who has just come on board as our uh, client operations director. Um, Her partner is James Shannon, who runs production with me. So it's just one of these small, small worlds, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I'm guessing, so business partners and matrimonial partners, that means there's a fair bit of uh, labour to be divided. And... Uh, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about the way things have been this year because it has been quite different. But under normal circumstances, who's doing what and how do you sort that out? Um, so under normal, normal circumstances, we uh, Rhiannon is production and she's a producer, a, a very well-trained and brilliant producer, which means that, that she can organise and make make shit happen. Um, and uh, I'm not. So that's basically <laughs> what, the, that, that's the difference between I think the two of us. There are some fundamentals, aren't there? Like Simon's a morning person. I am not a morning person. So Simon gets up with our youngest every morning. I think he's asking about how we divide the work up. That is work. No, yeah, like, it still counts. It massively counts. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I don't do mornings. Simon does mornings. So that makes things that makes a big difference. I do tend to travel more for work, um, or used to before global pandemic situation. Um, so Simon is um, often left holding holding the children. Um, but I think we've never. I know that there's all those traditional stereotypes out there of, of kind of the women taking on a lot of the load of of everything really, the emotional load and the childcare. Um, and then we, we choose to work and all these things. And I just don't think our relationship has ever been like that. It's always been um, a real 50-50 with everything, down to the fact that the, yeah. di- the dishwasher and the bins are his responsibility, the washing is my responsibility. Um, and with work as well, everything just gets, yeah. just gets split. I mean, I, th- I think that since, ever, since I stopped directing anyway, when and that, that's probably 10 years ago since, since we had younger kids, um that my 
my focus has been on on the company and and uh, pushing it forward both creatively and from a business perspective and that doesn't require it, that doesn't require being at work all the time or being at shoots or being on productions whereas re is still very much runs production and therefore is is on jobs a lot of the time so she has to travel more she has to work longer hours um so that allows splitting it like that allows allows me to to yeah to hold hold the baton um in, in terms of childcare and um a lot of the time which which suits me and i by no means like i i know how fortunate we are as a couple to be able to do this and i do believe that if i worked anywhere else in this industry for anybody else neither of us would be able to work as flexibly as we do. I think we have the, the benefit and the fortunate position to be running our own company so we can dictate that more than more than other businesses, especially, especially production. It's notoriously bad for being able to flexibly work. Um, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to, you know, to take the kids to school in the morning and, and enjoy that part of my life as, as well as feeling fulfilled at work, which is great. Although... The, the, the first lockdown kind of that really kind of was the first time it put under the microscope the roles really because we didn't have school and education and it it goes without saying like it takes a village it's not just me and Simon who look after the kids we've got our older kids who look after the younger kids my parents help out um our cousin helps out you know, we're really fortunate in in that aspect and all of that was taken away that whole safety net um in a time where we were having to work out who to furlough and what was going on with the business and what was happening with productions and then we had an 11 year old who wanted to be home or who needed to be homeschooled and a two-year-old we thought all his Christmases had come at once because we were at home all the time it was brilliant um, and that's the first time we've ever had to say right okay I am working now and I am not working and we've really had to divide it up in quite a structured way um, in order to in order to get everything done really. Yeah I, I can imagine uh, that the challenges that we were presented with in March um presented just a whole load of, of new uh, experiences, let's say, for, you know, not only running a, a business together that is heavily dependent on people getting together to actually do the work, but then also having four kids at home and the homeschooling to do and all of that. So uh, what, you know, what happened in terms of, you know, how did you guys manage to get the gate uh, to continue floating during that time as well as keeping everything going at home? So it was not, I mean, um, it, I think since March, it's fair to say, and this this definitely most people um, have lived almost another life, um, condensed a condensed life within about eight months, starting from like being born um, and the, the utter panic and that scream at the beginning. Um, which was when it when it happened, and uh, I remember on March the sixteenth, and uh, standing here in front of all the staff saying everything's going to be fine, it's all going to be good. no worries. We just need to work from home for a bit, etc. And underneath, I was screaming and and panicking and worrying, and and obviously, and that first part was was yeah, just just backs to the wall um kind of you know what are we going to do what we're going to do do business-wise what we're going to do life-wise um i think very quickly that that from my perspective anyway it really kind of brought out that the entrepreneurship that that i've hopefully always had but 
but I think performs best, and, and probably a lot of people will tell you this, performs best when your back's against the wall a little bit and you have to think outside the box and you have to suddenly make very rapid decisions that are going to either go right or wrong, but you need to make them because you don't have time to not. Um, and that brings its own excitement. So after that initial panic came quite a lot of excitement, I think, of how, how we're going to do this. Um, I think we were extremely fortunate to be at a period in time where things were going very well. We had an amazing, uh, have an amazing group of staff who basically all pulled together immediately. Um, and I think that was partly because everybody loves being here and what we do, but also partly because everybody needed it. Everyone needed a role. Everyone wanted to pull together. Um, so that was massively important. And then and then it was like, yeah, as Reese says, it was like dealing with a whole new life at home again because we had to completely restructure the way that we live um, and the way that we'd got used to. So, um, and we're still doing it and we're still working through it. But um, so in terms of the gate, I mean, we were, again, we were lucky. We had some clients. We, we've got food clients, um, um, agencies bringing in a lot of food work, um, food is a, an area that went well and we were able to um, obviously uh, set up a remote studio to, to shoot first of all when we didn't know whether we could shoot with people or not so we set up a remote studio that was was manned for, from outside with only one or two people in um, and then gradually as, as all of the, the, the rules um, not not got relaxed but as, as, the, the, as the industry worked out how to operate we were able to um, uh, to shoot more and more stuff yeah, and the work came back from a, you know, I think the the mass furloughing went on across the board, right, from clients and agencies and, and everything because everybody panicked and, and obviously nobody's ever been through this before. So, you know, there was that initial period where a lot of jobs were pulled and then a lot of jobs the marketing team had been furloughed or the, the agency account team had been furloughed. So it was not just getting back like learning how to shoot in these strange times, but also, you know, having the key people, the key decision makers back in work to make those decisions. And fundamentally, everybody needed to keep advertising. That was, that that kind of became clear quite quickly. And then it was a case of um, all the Zoom, the Zoom adverts, and then a case of that wearing thin with the public very quickly. And, and from about August onwards, probably got, back to shooting a lot more kind of normal content really in terms of the creative behind it um but there was a really nice time there where we were for the first time in a long time we did have some time to ourselves and we went on bike rides and I started baking sourdough um and uh there was like my my 11 year old finds it hilarious that there was like a different thing each month so there was like wild garlic pesto one month and then elderflower cordial another month and like all of these things that we'd never have done in a million years and that was the really nice thing about that not only would we have not done them but we would have taken the piss out of anyone who did them absolutely (laughs) (laughs) Um, like as far as the kids are concerned that actually continued but uh i have to before we go into the serious stuff i have to pick you up on that rianne and how well did you get the sourdough down because i had my own phase three years ago you know to know what the competition he's just baked some this weekend actually i would have brought it in but i haven't done my strength training um so so I have trouble. I think I'm not getting the moisture content right, Greg. I think 
that I'm putting too much water in. So I tried doing the free form ones at first and then I developed a method in tins and that went a bit better. Mm-hmm. But I, since my latest batch, I tried to wake up the dirt, wake up the starter the other day, got it out of the fridge in plenty of time. I'm really sorry for all of these people who find this really boring, but um, <laughs> got it out, woke it up um, and decided to do a batch. Uh, and it just, I'm not getting the right. The taste is there. The taste is amazing, but I'm just not getting around. The taste is incredible, and some of them have been have been great. But yeah, maybe your your it's not a morning. Maybe it's past. And I do have. I can't wake it up. And I do have. Like I will quite happily now pay a fiver for a loaf of sourdough from some artisan coffee shop somewhere because I'm just like this takes 24 hours and a lot of skill. Like I will absolutely pay for that. So yeah. Yeah, it was before I had a proper job was when I had the time to really perfect it. And I don't know what flour you're using for your starter, but rye flour is the the one. That's in my experience. Okay, I'll take that on board. I do use a mixture of um, double zero Italian flour and rye flour for the for the bake. But I think my starter's just just the double zero. So. That's where the yeah, that's where the magic is. But. Yes, as uh, as you said, we weren't here to uh, do uh, uh, a, a competition for pollen or other bakeries like that uh, <laughs> on this podcast. One thing I was really taken by, two things on what you guys were saying about how you responded to the, the COVID thing. Uh, first was uh, 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 Rihanna, and you uh, mentioned something that I haven't previously thought about. In, in March, it felt like a lot of stuff was reactive, right? It's not like... I felt like the the government started setting rules when everyone had started behaving that way anyway. So we said lockdown once everyone had just started working from home anyway. And it's interesting because, for example, you were saying a lot of your touch points, a lot of the people you speak to and who you sell to and who tells you what's going on all just disappeared at once. So it's like, right, well, we have no one to brief us. So we have to fill our staff. Do you think that was happening through the whole production chain, like downwards? Definitely. I mean, the, the we were fortunate that we could you know, a lot of our crew, they're all, they're all freelance and a lot of them are, um, they operate as limited companies and there was no help for those people. And I think we're fortunate that we've been able to, to benefit from furlough and do that. But in terms of down from us, in terms of crew and our suppliers, we supported wherever we could um, in terms of getting people back shooting as soon as we could. Um, I think your your point, Greg, though, is is right, and, and it's what Ray said before, is that the, there was very much a, a, because everyone else is doing it, we'll do it too, yeah. and therefore everything just stopped. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, if you had a magic wand and would go back, then, then obviously that, that wouldn't be the case. But I think that, that in the long term, I hope that, that that was was the right move for everybody because everyone had a bit of a chance, certainly, you know, fr- from a personal perspective, just to to reassess everything because suddenly suddenly everything stops and everyone went quiet. And I'm sure that uh, apart from apart from for the for the NHS and the government um, and the politicians, everyone else was was a bit was a bit quiet. Um, so gave people a little bit of time to reflect on on what to do next. Um, but I think that certainly meant that nothing happened. We, we had ninety percent of our work kind of stopped straight away, and the revenues that go with that. And I think a lot of our we we did see some amazing responses from our suppliers in terms of people like 
um, working with Lion Eyes on kit and No Dramas on their kit, they all came up with ways of live streaming shoots really quickly and cost effectively. That's the important thing here is because just because it was all pulled, it doesn't mean that the clients were were suddenly willing to spend a load of money on live streaming things. So technology adapted very quickly. Um, And we're fortunate before lockdown, we had actually done a shoot remotely because the the agency um, tag were were put on, um, they weren't allowed to leave anywhere and the client was in Belgium and come over and all of these things so we had a bit of a practice run at it pre-lockdown not gonna lie mate it was an absolute nightmare clients on zooms like just you know, the cats had an opinion at one point like everybody's looking at a screen you can't get that urgency across that you do on set when you have all your clients in the room and they can see what's going on and they're going to sign things off um but there were a lot of learnings and we kind of got better and better at managing the clients and the agencies in a, in a lot of situations and we're still you know we shot some stuff not too long ago for Lurpak and everyone chose not to travel and I do think that that is a big going forward there will be less attendance on set because of the technology that was developed within oh, the yeah. weeks of lockdown you know yeah it's like when I was um I was talking to Sally who is at Hogarth Worldwide down in London she was saying oh when I started I was a PA at Ogilvy and I got taken to a shoot in Brazil because I was PA to a creative who obviously wrote the idea. But all these people, as you guys will know, were on set because, I mean, you know as well as I do that you operate the cool end of the business. All clients in marketing enjoy the bit where they get to be on set watching a film being made and it's like they're in their own Hollywood thing. And, you know, um, so yeah, I, 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 I wonder... I think you're right, but I also do wonder if there'll be, you know, like a, a gradual ebbing out of things we learned during COVID. So it's like for the first two years, there'll be no one on set and then someone will go, can I come? And then it'll be like, yeah. And then they'll... Oh, definitely. I think, it, I, think it's bound, I think it's bound to come back, but I do think there will be lasting lessons because I think that the penny has started to drop maybe with clients mm-hmm. about actually, I don't need to have all this money put aside for travel and I don't need to do all of these things. Um, certainly with some of the, the fashion clients we, we work with, with Misguided, for example, we um, we did a brilliant, really, a couple of really successful shoots in LA during lockdown. Um, and I don't think they're ever going to let us leave the country again. I think they'd just be like, I'm going to have to stay for you lot to go over. You could just do it via Zoom and stay up all night. So I do... I think it. I think it will all come down to budget and and what is a nice to have and and also you've got to remember there's a new generation of, of of creatives coming through now. There's a new generation of account handlers. There's a new generation of clients, and they're not necessarily going to tolerate the carbon footprint that you know some of these shoots require and things require. They will be looking at it going, that's stupid. Just because it's it's quite an old school way of of doing things. Um, and I do think that maybe, I, d- I don't know if it will 100% come back. I think the, the things that have been taken away, the luxuries like coffee runs and, and all of that, they'll come back. <laughs> the travelling en masse places, I really think that will kind of come to an end. Really. Yeah. yeah, we'll certainly see. Um, and um, yes, another thing I wanted to pick up from what you were both saying about responding when it was all crashing down in March, uh, as as you know uh partners in the business is 
uh, about stress management because obviously when you're at the bottom of the, you know, you're starting your career, you're climbing the ladder, you think, oh, at partner level, it's just, you know, they get all the perks, they get, you know, they're taking uh, dividends, et cetera. It's, it's, it, that's, the, that's, the, that's where you want to be. Not uh, failing to realize, of course, you take on a corresponding amount of stress and responsibility at partner level. And so one thing for both of you is how do you manage that? What do you guys do to to, to work out the stress or to, to well, use cycles, use bots. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of things. Um, and I, I say, uh, I think that one of the things, coming back to earlier when we talked about how we work as a partnership, um, Rhiannon is extremely good at discipline, disciplining us to make time to do things um, as, a, as a couple. Um, we have had, since our 12-year-old was born, we've had date night on a Wednesday. We've probably missed about two or three every year. Uh, it's tonight, by the way. Um, so uh, we go to the piano room, which is a lovely bar just across uh, from our living room. Um, yeah. So, uh, but, but, but so, so things like that mean that, that we can actually step out of the normal stressful world. Um, Ree's really good at that. We, we both, uh, I mean, I exercise a lot. I do triathlon. Um, and that's definitely my thing that I do on my own. Although I'm really proud. I'm always proud of him. But this year he's qualified for the World Triathlon Championships, which are next year. And they're being held in Bermuda. So one of my roles that I play is is uh, Chief Twag, a triathlon wife and girlfriend. Uh, I lead Team GB in the Twags and uh, get to go to amazing places, which is great. So we've gone to all kinds of places over the years with, with this one and Team GB. But um, next year's Bermuda. Yes, indeed. So so that's that's my that's my personal outlet. Um, but uh, most recently, during during lockdown, actually, we started um, with a personal trainer, and she's got her into boxing. And as soon as lockdown hit, and she couldn't come in and box with her, I've had to learn to spar with Ree. Um, and yeah, the, the look in her eyes sometimes, Greg, there's, there is stress there. <laughs> I love it. Boxing is is amazing, and I love it. I do it twice a week, and I do it every day if I could. Um, but I really, I really, really like it. It's it's good, and exercise is is a massive thing for mental health. It's it's you know it changes everything, and and also baths. Baths, locking myself away in the bathroom. Exercising in the bath. Exercising in the bath. <laughs> Watching the latest, uh, what's the latest crap thing I've watched? Emily in Paris, as it's meant to be pronounced, apparently. Somebody told me that the other day and it blew my mind. Um, but yeah, rubbish rubbish TV and just just making time. I think that's, that's how we get through it all is by making time. And also sometimes it takes having a bit of a harsh word with the other person. Like if one of us is in a bit of a funk or, or has a real issue with something, the other one will go like either big, big the other one up or just go, no, you need to snap out a bit. Like this is why, this is why we get paid the big bucks. You just got to put your big girl pants on and get on with it. And I think it's kind of having that, that person there and somebody who knows exactly what you're going through. Cause it's, we're in the same business. I think I think that that is it within our, our business. It's wonderful, but but it is fairly unique. Um, and I think that, that it's why there are a lot of couples within our within our business um, because you do understand one another, even though it makes it difficult to separate the work and the personal life. But um, it, it, it'd be very difficult. It's, it's same with medical staff, isn't it? Loads of doctors are together. We're not saving lives, by the way. Yeah. That's something that, that Rick all said. Um, Saving lives. 
Um, but yes, on the um, on the medical front, uh, you gave me the perfect segue there because I've been waiting for a, an opportunity to ask about, well, we need to get around some music. That's what I'm here for. That's what I love. And I'm sure you all do. In fact, you were involved in uh, a campaign to get something to number one the other year, weren't you, that was to do with the NHS? Yeah, we were. We were indeed. Please tell me about that. Very, um, very proud of that. Um, oh, fact. Um, Shall I grab it? You tell the story. Okay. I'll yeah. Grab okay. It. Yeah. So, my doc, my brother is a was a junior doctor. Um, yeah, back in it was two thousand sixteen, um, and it was when the junior doctors were having a, a battle with Jeremy Hunt. Um, who seems to be trying to reform himself as a, as a character and politician, which is uh, annoying. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. Um, so, so my, my brother uh, was incredibly worried and basically said, and got, got himself so upset about, about it um, and was one of the kind of leading, leading voices in the campaign to, to, to get the junior doctors a better deal, um, to essentially to make the NHS a safer place for patients, which is what it was all about. Um, and he was so upset that he was in tears and he said, can you help? What can you do? And I said, well, let's use film because it's what we do. It's all we really know. Made a little film of putting a kind of plea out. Um, from there, we transmit that out amongst the advertising world. We got uh, One Minute Briefs involved who came up with some ideas. One of those ideas was a really nice uh, film idea about a marriage between us and, and NHS, about vows, about looking after one another. Um, and we started to make a film on that. And then at the same time, the Lewisham Choir, who'd already previously made a, um, a, a, a song, um, a mashup of Coldplay and Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Trouble Water, um, they um, uh, they were going to re-release the song, and we said, "Well, let's do it together." And we married the uh, we married the film with the song, and put out a big social campaign. And yeah, it got lots of momentum. Um, we did. We got the whole of the staff at the gate involved behind it. We were working pretty much through December on nothing else. Um, and just it, it got to number two and it was looking like it was going to stay at number two because Justin Bieber was going to go to number one for Christmas. And then Justin Bieber uh, tweeted his fans to uh, to not buy his record because uh, he'd rather the NHS went to number one. And we did it. And we have a trophy. We had a UK official chart number one trophy. Amazing. <laughs> um, so, and I was with my brother and the rest of the family on on that Christmas when, and it was Christmas Day when it was the actual real Christmas Day when they announced it um, that it was at number one, and, and uh, yeah, everyone was in tears, and it was, it was great. I mean, it was, and the best thing was all of the messages, all of the kind of social networks were just going mad with this has made us so happy from the staff at the NHS, which was what it was all about, trying to lift some morale. No, amazing. And, you know, it's one of those where I kind of wish I could have seen the room or you could have captured that moment somehow when they say, well, you know, it, it, it's actually done it. Um, uh, yeah, a remarkable achievement. And uh, I know there was another one a couple of years later that, and in fact, one that made another appearance earlier this year because obviously the NHS has been a central focus of the COVID year, hasn't it? So um, I don't know. I do hope uh, they get a break uh, sometime next year from uh, just all of this, from being this, 
center of attention for every reason and being, you know, so overwhelmed. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy to hear that it came from a, what's the word, you know, a personal, a personal connection. There was a genuine, sincere reason for doing it. And so that must have made the victory all the better. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, probably never, never be repeated that kind of moment. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's pretty special. Um, and been, um, able to be involved with uh, charting artists yet, and I'm quite envious as someone who would could only aspire to be producing, uh, you know, producing beats for artists of that caliber. But you somehow got involved with Heady One. How did you manage that? Um, so we, um, had a client who came to us during lockdown, actually, uh, Warren James Jewelry, 40 year heritage on the high street in this country. Uh, obviously all shops closed when we went into lockdown and, um, suddenly realized, hang on a minute, online is a thing because they saw their online sales go up. So they came to us, um, for some, for some online content initially, um, and stills, etc. And we formed a working relationship with them. And it's something we've been influencers and kind of marketing through Instagram and using the power of influencers is something that we've been working on since the start of this year. We did a trip away uh, for Boohoo Man in Miami with a group of influencers. So we started a small department within what we do to, to help support some of our clients' work. And we were looking at ways, we we're tasked by Warren James of not just kind of bringing their offering online, but actually aiming it at a younger audience because they have a really engaged audience of kind of 40 plus people in terms of age age groups, like really, really, really kind of um, massive fans of them. But they wanted to bring it to a new generation, a younger generation. So we've been doing a lot of work um, with a few micro-influencers and things, and then we had the opportunity um, with a Manchester director who we've been keeping an eye on, and we love work called Casey Locke, um, and he does all the videos for H. And his producer Lewis uh, is somebody we chat to on a on a regular basis, um, and Megan, who is our um, a social media influencer manager got in touch and said, "Listen, how can we get our our clients' uh, product on on H? That was that was kind of the aim is is let's get it on H." And then we realised that H doesn't wear jewellery, so that was never going to work. <laughs> and they, but they said, okay, well, we're, we're working with uh, Heady One. Like, how, how about that? Um, so we kind of looked at a partnership. Budgets are always a thing, though. So we knew that we were never really going to be able to afford to put the jewellery on the main star. However, in the latest video that he did with H that Casey directed, um, we were given the opportunity to dress all the women in the video. So there were four women and um, we sent Megan down and uh, the clients from Warren James to style all the women so that they um, are all dripping in Warren James jewellery. Um, and then we got to use um, all the content that was shot on that um, for any kind of social media usage, any advertising, things like that. So it was a really good partnership. And I think there's a lot more of that that we're looking into that is, you know, we started, our heritage has always been TV ads. That's always been the way. But diversifying over the years, this is just another way of diversifying. This is another way of reaching audiences. But that content still has to be really good quality and it has to kind of speak to speak to the 
that's going to you know get them to engage with the brand that they they probably might have heard of the brand but they wouldn't have thought of them in that capacity you know i think it's a it's a really interesting time for 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 musicians for music and 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 that that kind of bridge with with film and, and celebrity um because influencers within music that they are musicians and and therefore the bigger they are the more they're considered a celebrity um but their influences within fashion or influences within within other areas tend to be kind of represented or, or are trying to are now being represented by effectively just big cat agencies so it's just like an acting agency or a casting agency or a celebrity agency whereas musicians have always been fiercely independent even the big ones so you can still have conversations with them about about real stuff you know it's why they still like to work with the director to to do interesting promos, etc., because it's all part of their art. And it's the same with when you're getting a client involved with them. If you have a sensible conversation with them and they will talk about it, you, of course you have to go through their management, but, but the artists themselves will often be up for doing stuff provided it, it, it really it really plays into, into their artistic um, uh, dreams, really. And I think that's fairly unique with, with music. Uh, so certainly from what we're seeing. So there's a real opportunity to still, you know, you don't have to be a, a, a big, a huge brand and go through huge agents uh, to, to be able to hook up with, with musicians. Yeah, it's, it's good to know that there's a way into that world. And it's also interesting to note that with what you were doing with Warren James is um, in keeping with the fact that uh, hip hop has had quite a remarkable ability to just stimulate the most unlikely brands into the coolest thing ever. So we were looking at it yesterday because uh, I suddenly got curious. Why is, I didn't even know what Hennessy was, but I know Hennessy is like the liquor of choice for the hip hop community. And it's a fucking cognac. And it's like, whoever thought an after dinner, you know, drink would become the coolest thing just because of its association with that scene. And I wonder if maybe you guys are going to, at least be part of the story of how Warren James became the uh, the jewelry of choice for scene. I'd love them to drop it in some lyrics. Like that would be amazing, but I don't know if that's going to happen. And it is, you know, it is a stretch. Like John and Anne who run Warren James, they they were in it. They started the business. They've been in it for forty years. They have no idea, and quite frankly, they don't care. Who these who these people are so trying to have those conversations about let's just let's take a chance on it let's take a chance we know it's good we like so yeah we were really pleased with the outcome and they were really pleased with all the imagery that we that we got from it as well so yeah good well i can only hope for um yeah a what's the word mm, a, an affluent future as far as that's concerned or a bounteous future yeah i hope to start seeing uh, uh, your fingerprints on all, all of uh, you know the future of hip-hop yeah, well, the, the other thing um, we did um, during lockdown, the, the, one of the LA shoots we oh, misguided. So talk about dance. I'm not going to talk about badger dancing just yet. Okay. Um, was uh, hip hop. <laughs> so, Nitin misguided. He's always been a, a very, a very canny businessman. Um, yeah, just to say the least. Yeah, to d- did a selection, uh, a collection, sorry, with Sean John. And when we were first talking about this collection, I'm like, Sean John, Sean John. And I'm like, are we talking about Diddy off of P. Diddy? 
off of like Puff Daddy. And because everyone's a, a younger than me, misguided. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this, this collection is like my kind of teenage childhood in terms of like the tracksuits, the velour tracksuits, like all the different styling. Um, but we teamed up with um, an LA uh, hip hop artist called Beer, and she fronted the campaign for that. So I think that, that it has been... It, as you say, there it, there are all these tie-ins between um, kind of brands and music and and especially hip hop, definitely. Yeah, that's, uh, that does hook into something I was going to ask. Actually, how much does how much attention does music get uh, at the gate in the production process? You know, is it? Uh, I imagine there are occasions when it is. Uh, you know, sourced at the end and put over the edit, but are there other occasions where it's taking the whole campaign through? For example, the misguided with Sean John that was based around a beer track, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, so a lot of our work, um, most of our work comes from advertising agencies, and those creatives um, will often start with a track. You know, that, that that's um, it's always been the case in the 25 years that I've, that I've been doing this is they will very often start with a track. Um, creatives are, are um, generally pretty pretty good at music. They're, they're into music. They're creative by nature. They listen to a lot of music. They, the, the good creatives use music, film, people, art to inspire their creative work. So uh, that will often come through. So, so probably half of what we what we get briefed on often often comes with a track um with the fashion business yeah it, it, it's fairly fundamental isn't it yeah i mean we i have now over the years built up really good relationships with um various libraries and in the past when you said like library music it's like oh my god it's gonna sound like you'd play it in a lift do you know what i mean whereas now people um you know big labels like ninja cobalt like they all have artists who will submit tracks for their library. Um, so you've got like immediately a higher standard of track that you can you can go and license. And what we tend to do, we've got um, we've got probably a selection of like five or six um, record companies that we have and, and libraries that we have good relationships with. And we'll send the brief out and they'll submit tracks uh, based on the budget. Um, with everything, everything always comes down to budget. Um, but we're seeing better and better submissions, if you like, on the budgets that we've got, which is really encouraging. Um, I've got a new campaign coming out. It's not coming out till January for Tommy Tippy, um, that we've partnered with a library called Centric, who found an amazing track for that that really carries it through. Um, and the brief that came in through, it's with Manifest Agency and the creative director, Chamoy, there had some amazing tracks that he put forward as reference. And like Sai says, you can, you get all these references, but then it's a matter of filtering it down to what do we need? What's our budget? And just casting the net out and seeing seeing what comes back to us really. But we've been fortunate with with some of the fashion clients, with Misguided, with Mainline Menswear, um, that there are, that they do allow a decent chunk for music. Because I think that's the thing, when it's an afterthought and it's like, you know, there's a line for a few hundred quid in the budget, you're never really going to get a good song, but we're not we're not talking tens of thousands of pounds here. We're we're talking a reasonable amount of money, um, 
a reasonably low amount of money, I should say, compared to the old days of, I remember licensing Alison Moyer years ago for that Sleep Masters commercial that you did. Yeah. And that, that track was 90 grand. Like, that's insane. It's been a long time since people have spent that amount of money on a, on a famous track, I think. And there's still... Um, we still get insane quotes back as well from from well-known artists. Ed Sheeran, for example, complete. What was the what's the what's the what's the high bar for 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 Sheeran? Sheeran, I don't think we've ever got a quote back at less than a hundred k. Oh right, yeah. Okay. My 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 record to beat is currently Paul Simon at five hundred k. So no, no, never. Like I've never had one that high, but the the majority of them. Or over a hundred. Do you ever have that where um, you know you say you, the creative has given you a brief? They like this track, and all of the responsibility gets handed over to you, and they go, "Well, I want this one. Figure it out." And it's like well, you've given me like five grand to get a hundred grand track. <laughs> yeah, so they're, no, they're normally pretty realistic, to be honest. They are now. To be to be fair, they weren't a few years ago. Like they, that was the kind of. I had uh, one person who shall remain nameless tell us that they could download it from iTunes for seventy nine p. So um, why was the quote eighty grand? Wow. Um, yeah, and we'll you know we'll often <laughs> we'll often we'll often get um, you know sound alike done. We could have made a hell of a mark on that. We could if have. We'd have done it that yeah, way. We'd have, <laughs> we'd have got sued as well. So, There's yeah. the entrepreneurial spirit we heard about. Nobody likes being sued. Um, so yeah, they're they're definitely getting more realistic. But there was a time when it was like, well, no, this is this is this is what we want. Uh, once you start explaining the, the intricacies, I think ever, the, the hard thing is that everybody thinks it's really easy and it, it's so complex. Often you're always going to deal with the masters and the publishing, but often the publishing is split between five different people that you have to negotiate with. And it just, it's a very lengthy, time consuming process. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with the most favoured nation issue. And, you know, it's like, well, everyone agreed like three each and then one of them wanted five. So now they all need five each. And, exactly. Exactly. And then you don't, nothing is actually agreed because it's all subject to contract. So you could go along and be like, this is fine. And then at the last hurdle, the artist actually looks at it and goes, I don't, I need another 50 grand for that. And then it all goes out the window. So yeah, it's, um, I much prefer the ones where we where we put our brief, put our budget, and get them back, and there isn't that negotiation. Yeah, I did. I have had someone uh, recently on this series uh, saying we used to do a lot more. That you know, advertising in particular used to have a lot more uh, unique musical identities, whereas now it's all sync tracks. And I just wonder if part of that is because um, since the decline of you know buying music we don't buy cds anymore they're not gonna sell five hundred thousand or a million units on an album the the next obvious revenue stream was for sync and it's like well that's the next place we're gonna make actual cash you know especially with a year like this with uh, live performances going completely down to zero i wonder if we'll see a lot more of an aggressive push to get sync revenues next year yeah i mean i I'm not sure in terms of the the prices that have been paid, but we've certainly seen some interesting artists getting submitted for lower budgets that you wouldn't think that we could get clearance on that level. Um, so I do think it's a case of we'll take anything we can this year, you know, definitely. Good, good, good. Right, well, we've uh, there's a lot of stuff we covered musically there, and there was just one more uh, thing I wanted to uh, cover with you before you both have to get back to the 
you know, consuming task of actually running a business. Um, I want to know about the music choices at the uh, wedding. Oh, the wedding. <laughs> So we got married on a beach in Turkey six years ago. Uh, 2013, seven years ago. Seven years ago. Um, and we wanted a... May the 31st, May the 2013. 31st. Yeah, we have done. Um, we had a lovely ceremony on the beach, all our friends and family there. Um, and we wanted, we had a humanist ceremony, but we wanted songs because like music is really, really important to us. Um, so we had kind of order of services printed uh, with all the words and we had three songs. And the first song was the Mock Turtles. Um, I can see me loving nobody all my life. So clip that now, thanks. <laughs> and then we yeah, had... I think you'll find I was singing it in the wrong tone, so you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was significantly away from the original. Uh, and then we had Take That, Never Forget, complete with like arm movements and everything. Um, and then we finished with Elbows One Day Like This. And it was magical. It was really, really, really lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, it was incredible. It, it was, and people came from everywhere for um, to it and of all generations. And a lot of them didn't know the songs, but we printed them all as hymns. So seeing, uh, yeah, seeing 80-year-old people throw their hands up in the air to never forget was, was wonderful. And they all, you know, they they meant so much to to us and to all our friends who were there. On the on the morning while I was getting ready, my mum, my mum's a pianist and uh, classically trained, hustled all the bridesmaids into the room I was getting ready in to make us practice the coming in on time to the take that song. She's like, it's not as simple as you think. No. You've got to get the right pitch. And so she had everybody rehearsing while we were all having our hair and makeup done, like rehearsing. That's a good like, job we didn't yeah. do the traditional couples on the families on each side thing either, because yeah. Bree's side, being Welsh and her mum being a, a music professor uh, would have been amazing because they were all harmonising and everything. And my lot were just shouting, <laughs> football chanting style. Um, so, yeah. 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 So, uh, hopefully, we're going to see uh, 2023 fully clear from the pandemic, big 10 year anniversary. Where's that going to be? On the spot. 10 year anniversary, 2023. Oof, I don't know. Something to think about, maybe. Yes, yeah. I think probably Spain, a lot of size family. We went to um, size cousin's wedding. He's got a place down in Verhair in southern Spain, southern Spain that we all went to October last year. That's a, that's an easy place for everybody. With global to. warming, though, it might be it'll be hot enough here. I would have thought by then, unless we get our get our shit together. So um, there, won't, there won't be a need to travel to get burned. No. And we like the family just keeps getting bigger and bigger as well. So it's you know, <laughs> harder to get everybody in one place at, a, at one time. Can we just talk about Ollie Murs? Um, I wanted to I've just, I'm not, I don't want to have a go at him, um, but because... <laughs> well, you're <always> stuck. <laughs> yeah, 
it, it's so one another thing that that we did during lockdown. So uh, oh, I mean, I did it. In fact, so I've always done. I don't know, Greg. I don't want to ask about your personal situations, but um, when Marie's, you know, kind of, I don't know, maybe a little bit stressed, talking about stress, or whatever. Just before we go to bed, I I, I often do her a little dance. Just. You know, just a, just a little dance to a little piece of music, something that pops into my head. End of the bed, get into bed, go to sleep. You know, nothing nothing like that. Just just to cheer up a bit, just to amuse her. I'm naked because I sleep naked. Um, so anyway, re to for a laugh, I think right at the start of lockdown, decided to to film one of them, um, and she put it out on her Instagram feed. Uh, which is private, so it's fine. And she covered anything up with, with you know, little stickers and stuff. Anyway, it became a thing, and we did 60, 70, I think there are over 70 of them um, that we did um, on Instagram. And Ree's Instagram is full of, like, misguided fashion people and, and you know, people people a lot younger who, who found it quite amusing, I think, to see a 50-year-old man um, dancing, dancing in the buff um, to various tracks and, you know... So we chose a different track depending on how we're feeling, and and it became a real thing. Anyway, spotted the other day, Ollie Murs has just done one. Um, it's not as good as mine, I'm not. but it is a direct rip off. Um, and I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, Maybe we should do an Ollie Murs one. We haven't done an Ollie Murs one because musically they did vary from like we covered all genres. The Kate Bush one was a highlight. Mm. And then we had um, we had a Michael Jackson one. I've had, a, had um, them all. Had them all. Like all, all have been in there. So maybe we should do an Ollie Mers one. And yeah, maybe. It. I think I needed to get it out there um, so that I now actually do something about it and, and get the lawyers involved. Yeah, well, when we have this thing, uh, you know, edited together before we release it, Steve often puts some overlays of relevant footage on it. So I presume you want us to, uh, uh, Rhiannon, you're going to send me some of those videos and we'll, We'll put them over the screen. You know what? I, d- I, don't, I have nothing against Ollie Murs. In fact, I've met him. He's a really nice guy. Um, maybe we could just do one together. Get you know, it all behind us. Put it, out there. Put it all behind us and in front of us. Well, if you get the NHS choir to number one, I'm sure you could get... Uh, I'm sure you could get... <laughs> but yeah, well, thanks for joining me today, guys. Uh, it's been a long time coming and I'm really grateful to have a full hour just to chat to you about whatnots. So thanks for coming on. Uh, Best of luck with the rest of the year because it's now uh, almost December and uh, look forward to the next one. Cheers, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys.